should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now, here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the last day of uh, February. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. In studio with us is John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. John, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Michelle. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. Uh, so it's the last day of February and um, of 2017. It feels like it, it feels like it's been forever. It feels like this year is slowly going by, and uh, I, you know, um, it feels like the president has been around for a really long time. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a good way. Um, about a month and a week, and. Uh so if you're keeping track, I know some people are doing a countdown until the next presidential elections. Yeah, that's true. Um, so a few things I think that we should uh, start the show off by mentioning, and and there have been some some action by the president that impacts the LGBTQ community. So we'll start the show off uh, talking about some, some recent updates, and then we're going to play some interviews from ABC's miniseries, When We Rise, from the actual activists uh, who's, who these actors are portraying their life, and r at least we have that to look forward to, that ABC is doing this miniseries. It's a four-part miniseries, and I believe it's like two hours um, each each night. It, it premiered last night on ABC at 9 o'clock uh, Pacific Standard Time. Yeah, and uh, so hopefully you tuned in if you haven't, and uh, lots of people are talking about it within the LGBTQ community. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. So if you haven't heard, the president had made um, some actions that impact the LGBTQ community. Uh, his latest decision to rescind transgender youth rights, um, uh, a uh, federal protection that President Obama had introduced, um, definitely showed his colors in a lot of ways. And what that pretty much means is there was something in place uh, that to be considered federal protections for transgender youths in, in, in terms of having access to the facilities that they identify with. And there's some confusion going on. Some people actually think now trans youths cannot use the facilities that they can access. And it's going to be confusing because some states will probably honor the president's decision to do so. And then some states like California strongly understand state laws because in our state um, it is legal. Uh, it's law for transgender youths to access the facilities that they need to. I kind of wonder in, in those red states, let's just use that kind of red-blue uh, differentiation, if some of those red states we're really going to honor the the uh, previous president's uh, executive order. Was it an executive order or a directive through the education department? I'm afraid I'm unclear. Um, it's an executive okay. order. So so it's you know again we might we might see some legal action taken from our friends like ACLU and CLR. There's actually a a case right now, the Gavin Grimm case, that a Supreme Court um, or the Supreme Court will make a decision on that could reverse. You know, the president flexing his muscle in some way. Or it could confirm it, right? If they right. uphold the president, then uh, then even those states that, uh, um, you know, are adhering to previous policy might have um, might have to redo their stuff. It, it all kind of depends on exactly what it comes down to in, in the courts. But um, I, I kind of wonder, as I was saying, uh, the, those red states where, you know, who are eagerly, you know, rescinding any protections for LGBTQ folks, especially transgendered folks. Um, I'm not so sure that they were going to be all gung-ho about enforcing the previous rules anyway. 
No, especially uh, with this idea that they want to start passing some religious liberty type laws. I mean, this this would be kind of like step one of that, being able to argue uh, that certain, you know, if, if, he, if the president says it should be a state's decision, we know what that means from the marriage equality days. Um, that means, you know, red states are states that have a, a really good number of conservative-minded folks, uh, if, or I guess I should say anti-LGBT, because there certainly are conservative people who are accepting of LGBTQ well, people. And you and I were talking before the radio program, we were just talking about um, kind of some surprising support for uh, uh, LGBTQ folks, and it's specifically on, on transgendered I- issues. Um, you know, the NBA, the NFL. I mean, uh, you kind of talk about, you know, this. the next we'd have, I think NASCARs have even done some stuff that, that you, you just like, these are the core of, if you will, the kind of straight male uh, uh, identity in this country, and, and they are, you know, taking stands that in many cases are uh, stronger than we see in a lot of corporations that have, you know, been vocal on these issues. It, it, it will be interesting to see if that matters, you know, because so, all, all the sports things can do is, you know, make some public statements and, and uh, cancel uh, some special all-star games or something in, in various states. But uh, there, are, there are voices that are coming up from some unexpected areas, I think. Yes, yes, absolutely. The things that we should definitely point out, you know, in terms of what the president has done, and I actually think that this is a page in his playbook um, in kind of like just provoking the fear and and getting people, um, I I guess divided is is the right word, in order to uh, create something that's like controversial. Because, I mean, to, to peel back an executive order that protects a small percentage of the entire country you know it's like what did, what does that mean what for and obviously in my opinion he's appeasing to the ultra conservative anti trans anti lgbtq constituents Mike um, Pence wing yeah and you know but 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 at the end of the day i mean people are arguing whether trans youths should be able to access the facilities that they identify with and you've got people who are arguing this without even knowing you know what transgender mean uh, or, or, do, or you know what transgender people go through, sure. and and then all they can do is reduce the conversation down to a man should not be in a women's uh, bathroom. Which trans people are, you know what I mean? It, it's like, well, trans women are not men. Um, so it's sad that we're the president has taken us back to that conversation where it's uh, irrelevant and it may it's it's nonsensical. Uh, let me be heretical, and I don't believe this, but I believe that a lot of people believe it, and that is most people in this country probably have not gotten there yet, okay? They haven't had all that discussion. You know, from within the LGBTQ community and, and among its its friends and, and, and uh, uh, supporters, that's one thing, because transgender issues have been increasingly mm-hmm. taking the forefront and have been argued about and talked about and, and all that kind of stuff. Most people have not. So it's it. They kind of went from zero to sixty, you know, in in like uh, a very short period of time of never even having thought about a transgendered person to suddenly, wait a minute, you know, you've got this battle going on and they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And and of course, unfortunately, a lot of people then revert to, well, I'm not putting my kid in that, you know, whatever. And of course, I do a terrible Southern accent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that conversation has to keep going on. Sure. Sure. Alongside, <laughs> uh, obviously, all the legal stuff that is, is going to come out. And I, I should go back to something I said earlier and, and kind of amend that, where I was kind of saying, you know, a lot of those red states that, you know, probably weren't going to be really gung-ho about enforcing, uh, you know, Obama's rules in the first place. Of course, what having those rules allows them to do is it allows students and their supporters to sue based on those laws and mm-hmm. rules and, and executive orders and things. So not having them takes away at least one tool. It's an interesting time for sure. Um, you know, you've got the courts now, and you've you've got the people who will sue the president, and you've got the courts that will decide, you know, who's right or wrong. And it really is the people versus the president <laughs> yeah. in a lot of ways. So, 
you know, and it, and I think that's the message is uh, we just have to keep fighting. We have to be strong and, and, and have faith in our democracy and, and the reasons why we have, you know, um, the executive branch, the judicial branch, and the sl- legislative branch. The, the thing, though, is, John, and you can add to this, is that I feel like the the people who are responsible for legislation are letting us down. And, 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 a, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's a Republican-controlled legislation right now. I forget who said this, so I apologize, but someone said the Republicans in Congress are kind of like the dog that's chasing the uh, truck and, you know, the mail cut car and they finally <laughs> catch it and they're like they don't know what to do the whole point for them was catching it and in fact today the the headline uh, on cnn at least is that top republicans are are not supporting the this obamacare repeal bill that's been drafted mm-hmm. well that's been their whole that's that's the the mail truck that they've been chasing for years you know they kept voting to repeal it to repeal it to repeal it so then when they actually have the power to repeal it, they're like, what? Huh? <laughs> uh, well, hell, wait, I'm, I'm up for re-election in two years, you know. I'm going to get, and I'm getting creamed, by the way. So, you know, all that activity that people are doing already is being felt. But I think what, what people should think about when they're either considering, so if they're really concerned about transgender rights, for example, um, they should know that it does matter when they speak out, when they, you know, that, that they work with allies and that they, they, and some of those allies are going to be in unexpected places. That's, I mean, there's good news in that. There's bad news in that. They have to go back and fight a fight they thought had been fought already. Thank you for that. Now we should probably mention it's Tuesday and supposedly we're supposed to hear from the president today and what might be... Uh, the Best speech ever. <laughs> I'm probably, he's probably going to be on my level when I say things like amazing, awesome, it's just going to be great. Um, he's going to give a terrific speech. He's going to give a terrific fantastic, speech. Fantastic, never before seen details. Do you know what we're to expect out of this speech? Um, I would suspect, I would expect and suspect that we'll see very little detail. Um, because, in fact, what we were just talking about with Obamacare and some of this other stuff is is when he's gotten into the details, that's when suddenly his his coalition or whatever starts to fall apart. You know, his supporters are like, wait a minute, you're taking away my health care. You know, the Republicans are like, wait a minute, you're taking away my voters. Um, so I think he'll uh, do the same that he's been doing. It'll be very much like a campaign speech. Um, you know, he'll probably, if you want to play a drinking game at home, folks, Play responsibly, um, because you'll be drinking a lot if you like take a drink every time he rips on the press. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and if he mentions Michelle by name, you can finish the bottle. <laughs> You'll mention Michelle; it'll just be a different Michelle. He's probably <laughs> mentioning. Um, okay, so are you it, going to watch the, the speech? I don't. You know, I'm torn. I feel like I should just to to hear what he has to say and and kind of to hear if he'll respond to the chaos he's created in the country since, like you said, a month and a week ago <laughs> or something, you know, like that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, look, my state of the union as a citizen, if we, if we could take some time to do, that, do that in this chaos is, you know, to outright talk about um, the fact that this president had promised that he'll address, you know, the criminals the, that are, who are immigrants. But when he said criminals, he mentioned drug dealers, cartel, dr- you know, people, uh, really violent, you know, horrible people that I, I look, if there's any horrible, violent people out there who are actual rapists, um, uh, people who deal drugs to the poorest, to, to children, yes, they should be locked up somewhere or at least face consequences for their actions. But the stories that we're hearing and the people, and I'm not even saying hearing from like the media, but seriously from my neighbors, from my family members, are everyday people who are business owners, who are mom and dads, um, especially parents of American-born citizens who might be undocumented. We're talking dreamers. We're talking a trans woman who went to a courthouse to file a restraining order, you know, because of uh, a domestic violence situation. And by the time that she finished filing that report, ICE was already waiting for her. So my question to the president, you know, would be this is the state of America right now as it pertains to, to immigration. Uh, 
well, where are the drug cartel people and the drug dealers and the rapists that you told us you were going to deport and or do something about it? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure that the cocaine is still flowing uh, or whatever you want to call it. And the, the beheadings has, are still will, yeah. happening. Yeah. Um, so that's one, you know, situation. And then, of course, you've got uh, trans suicides and murders that are happening at an epidemic rate. It's already been reported seven cases of trans violence um, or trans women who have been murdered most of color or if not all who have been reported um, ever since, you know, his whole anti-trans platform. And what about, you know, the uh, bomb threats that are targeting Jewish schools and and synagogues and or centers. Right here in San Francisco, we had one yesterday at the JCC, I believe. Right. Um, So why hasn't he addressed any of those things if he's keeping his promises to the American people? uh, I'm not actually seeing the results of those types of promises. And then going to address, you know, his whole promise on the Affordable Care Act. Um, Well, okay, there's a lot of things that we can talk about that was wrong with the Affordable Care Act. And one of the main things would be the amount of waste that goes on. I mean, American people are spending up to 20% of their income on health care. And so if I were to think about a, a another plan to replace it, I would really be addressing that. And I'm a normal citizen that, you know, I'm not writing policies and laws, and I can tell you that that was one flaw. Why not talk about that? What are you going to do about... Uh, health insurance waste, medical waste, so meaning people who are misdiagnosed, people who are spending extra uh, money on on services that they, they don't need because the medical industry has been able to do that and get away with that. Anyway, that's my state of the union. It would include and issues that impact those and things. And I even say this not to be snarky, but I think you've probably just put more detail and substance into what you've just said in the last two or three minutes, then we'll actually get out of this tonight. You know, again, he's not going to say, well, the reason I did such and such is this, and of course I had to consider this against other... It's going to be more red meat for his supporters, and um, that's all that's going. we're going to get. I mean, it, it, it could be interesting to watch, but I honestly don't know if I will. I, I might just uh, catch the fallout tomorrow. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll play an interview from the When We Rise series. And it's an interview with activist Cleve Jones. And uh, it was during his release of his memoir, When We Rise, which was basically the inspiration for the ABC miniseries that was produced by Dustin Lance Black. Don't go away. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. (laughs) Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show.
Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday, the last day of February. Not that I'm looking forward to the next day <laughs> or the next, I don't know, four years or three in some years. It's all just mush to me now. Um, as promised, we said that we would be playing some interviews from When We Rise, the ABC miniseries that documents the activism here in San Francisco over the course of 40 years. And it was inspired by a memoir by activist Cleve Jones, who was a friend of Harvey Milk's. So let's take a listen to that interview. It's the Michelle Miao Show, your A to Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. Here's Michelle Miao. Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. Tonight, we have a huge show for you. It's so huge, we've decided to focus on just that one huge person. It's Cleve Jones. He's a longtime LGBTQ activist and also a human rights activist. He'll be here to talk about his new book, When We Rise. Before we get to the interview, let's check in with what people are saying, what they're thinking, how they're feeling, especially since Donald Trump has been elected as president of the United States. Our first quote comes from President-elect Donald Trump himself. He was interviewed by Leslie Stahl of 60 Minutes, and when she asked him about same-sex marriage and if he would do anything to repeal the law of marriage equality, here's what he had to say. It's law. It was settled in the Supreme Court. It's done. These cases have gone to the Supreme Court. They've been settled, and I'm fine with that. I don't really know if I believe him. I don't, I don't know. I'm not trying to be cynical. I'm not trying to be negative. We also know that President-elect Donald Trump has the opportunity and the chance to appoint someone to the Supreme Court justice that could very well be anti-LGBTQ. So I'm just going to leave it there. Our next quote comes from comedian Wanda Sykes, out lesbian comedian Wanda Sykes. She currently did a show and was going to do a Trump bit, and before she could even get to it, the crowd booed her. And so there were some rumors out there that said that Wanda Sykes had to leave her show. Well, she finally addressed those rumors. Here's her quote. I didn't go anywhere. I was booed while on stage in the middle of my set. Some people in the audience didn't want to hear my Trump jokes. Hell, I couldn't even get to the punchlines. They were booing the setups. They were yelling for me to shut the F up and to go F myself. So I simply told them how that made me feel. Well, I think Wanda's reaction is the right reaction. And what I'm referring to is she stuck her middle finger up. <laughs> the next quote comes from Richard Grinnell. Richard Grinnell is an out gay man who could possibly be appointed as the United States ambassador to the United Nations. Here's his quote or his comment to the time when President-elect Donald Trump held up the LGBTQ rainbow flag. No other Republican presidential nominee in history has embraced the LGBT community in such a loud and proud way. And yet the moment was barely reported by the media despite the fact it happened in front of the traveling press corps accompanying Mr. Trump. Political reporters, not unsurprising, largely failed to write on the moment where a Republican challenged their negative media stereotype. Well, Richard, I trust that you are an intelligent man and there's potential that you would do a good job for whatever job President-elect Donald Trump gives you, but I'm sorry, holding up a gay flag with a goofish smile is definitely not history. Come on, President Obama, let me list all the things he's done for the LGBTQ community. Let's start with marriage. How about don't ask, don't tell? You know what, it's not even comparable. Moving on. Our last quote comes from Ellen DeGeneres because when we're sad and we're feeling disappointed, the one lesbian I love to turn the TV on is Ellen DeGeneres. Here's her quote. Obviously, a lot of people were disappointed by the results. She said to her studio audience, my job is to be hopeful and to make everybody feel good and I'm gonna keep doing that for as long as I can. Ellen, thank you so much for continuing to do that. We need you now more than ever. That's it for quotes. Don't go away. When we come back, we will have our interview with Cleve Jones. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here tonight. 
It's a really, really, really big and important show. And the reason being is because Cleve Jones is a longtime activist that we can learn from. He's got a new book out, When We Rise, that I think every young person out there in the streets right now doing what they should be doing, which is protesting this president in a lot of ways. If you care about women, if you care about Muslims, if you care about African-Americans, if you care about equal rights, you've got to pick up this book. Let's get to the interview. Cleve, finally. It's almost it's almost here. Yeah. The book that you've been talking about, that you've been working on, um, and it's so good. Thank it, you. It's so good that Hollywood screenwriter Dustin Lance Black and producer Gus Van Sant is making a miniseries out of it. Partly based on. Partly based, it. Yeah. or it was inspired. But for me, I could not put it down. Oh, thanks, Michelle. So the book titled When We Rise to me is part memoir, uh, part uh, diary entries even, um, and also, you know, part history book. I mean, how could it not be? You've been involved in the gay liberation movement, lifelong activist actually. You got started at a very young age. In the Jurassic. <laughs> That's not what I meant, but, but um, I think, you know, for what's happening in our country now and how people are responding to the news of our newly elected or president-elect Donald Trump and, mm. and seeing the kids on the streets, you know, they're, yeah. they're young, they're, they're in middle school, they're in high school. Let's, I think it's important for them to get to know you as a human being, how you grew up, um, and not just Cleve Jones, a lifelong activist. Mm. So it all started in the desert? Yeah, it started in Phoenix. and. Uh you know, the last few days I've been marching a lot, uh, especially with the young people, and I did not uh, anticipate that my book would be timely in such a really awful way uh, mm -hmm. under the, the circumstances. But, you know, I wanted to write about the movement, uh, and I wanted to write about it in a personal way because uh, as I begin the book, I, I begin it by saying the movement saved my life. And for young people today who are reeling with the news of this uh, horrifying election and, and what it means for our future and the reality that we're going to be grappling with this, uh, I think, for many, many years to come, you know, I want young people to know that there have been so many times in my life when I thought it was over. Uh, even when I was in high school, I planned to kill myself because I was so terrified of being queer and it was a very different time then. And, I just felt my life was over before it even started. And then later, when I was mentored by Harvey Milk, who took such good care of me and was kind of a dad for me, and then losing him. And that night, uh, uh, you know, after seeing his body in City Hall, I, I just kept saying to myself, it's over, it's over. Uh, you know, but it wasn't. And then AIDS came, and so many of my friends died, and I myself became sick, and I thought, well, it's over. And, it wasn't. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to live, but I'll never, I'll never be happy again. And, uh, you know, I'm 62 and I'm, I'm healthy. I'm happy. I'm in love. Yay. Uh, I am horrified by the results of the election, but I'm as determined as ever to fight back. And I think uh, it requires endurance. And we're going to have to understand that we have a long road ahead of us. But no one should give up. No one should despair. Well, the, the book is so good, like I mentioned. It's got stories, actual stories of your life, and you know, from uh, casual hookups, which I was like, Cleve? Cleve had a lot of sex. <laughs> um, to, to doing some really important things. But you know, I, I loved it so much because it wasn't like you got a degree in organizing. No. Um, in fact, you know, it took you a while before you figured out what was your calling. Well, I'm still kind of figuring it out, but uh, I love what I do. And I, I um, uh, now that I'm old and I've been around for a while, you know, people thank me. And it's very sweet to have young people come up and thank me. But I love what I do. And most of my work these days is with the labor movement, with the hotel workers union. and. Uh, we, when we win victories, you know, it changes people's lives. Um, people go home with more money in their pocket, they have safer working conditions, or they're allowed to get married. Um, so I get to see the results, and I love what I do, and I wanted that to come through in the book. 
And yes, I did have a lot of sex. <laughs> Which I thought was great. <laughs> I really did. And I, I had envisioned, you know, us being best friends in the 70s at one point. You had that long, flowy ponytail that, you know, a waitress had mistaken you for a girl yeah. while you were having dinner with your with grandmother. With my grandma. Who yeah. sound, sounded elegant oh, and awesome. She was, she was an awesome lady. Both my grandmothers were really wonderful. But they were also very important to me when I came out and then also uh, when AIDS came. And they were part of the inspiration for the AIDS Memorial Quilt because at that time the left was organized, ACT UP had started, but I knew that the two people on this planet that loved me the most were my grandmothers and I wanted a place for them in the movement in the fight against AIDS and that was a big part of starting the quilt. Don't go away, when we come back we'll continue our conversation with Cleve Jones. Welcome back. Let's get back to the interview with Cleve Jones. Cleve, the a big campaign you worked on, which proved to be successful, which ended up um, impacting the community in a, a lot of ways, was fighting Anita Bryant and her Save Our Children campaign mm -hmm. and what led to Prop 6, or the Briggs Initiative here in California, which would have banned um, gay and lesbian teachers from teaching in public schools. And, and, you know, talk to us about how did you do it? How did you organize the way that you did? How did you get so many people to come out and protest? Because I think that's relevant to, to speak to the young people who want to keep fighting, especially under this new president. Well, first of all, a little history lesson for your viewers who don't know what the heck you're talking about. Uh, in 1970, uh, seven in 1978, there were a whole series of campaigns to roll back the limited advances we'd won, and one of them was here in California, and it was a, a, a very threatening law. It would have prevented LGBT folks and our allies from working in any capacity in any public school district. So it was a real attack on workers, on LGBT people, on anybody that might uh, be uh, have a different political opinion. And all the polls said we would lose. Uh, this was before our community had the, the ability to raise millions of dollars and have fancy black tie dinners and multi, you know, huge media buys. But we had great leaders like Harvey Milk and Sally Gerhardt and as a community I think it was the first time that we really made the decision that we were going to come out. And I believe that the way we won that election was by knocking on doors and saying, hi, I'm your neighbor, I live down the street, please don't vote for this because it will hurt me, it will hurt my family. And uh, their attacks against us then are the same kinds of things that they use against us, against mm -hmm. transgender people today, uh, making a, you know, portraying us as predators, people who are, are a danger, a threat to your children. And the, you know, you, you, the best way to confront that is by coming out. And this was what Harvey always said. And uh, so I think that was the first time that we as a community made the decision, we're all gonna come out. And uh, it was scary. You know, it was scary here in San Francisco. I walked precincts out in the avenues where people were not very receptive. But uh, I also went to places like Fresno where it was extremely scary. But even there, people took that step. and. I think everybody needs to know, especially now, that they're not powerless. And there's a whole lot of folks out there that want, young people especially, to believe that they're powerless, that their voice doesn't matter. Uh, but their voices do matter. They're not powerless. We all have a contribution to make to this struggle. Does it surprise you that years later, I mean, even today, that there are people in the Central Valley that still don't even know what being transgender means? Uh, you know, I've, I've learned not to be surprised by anything in this country <laughs> right now. Uh, uh, I'm still reeling from the election results, but uh, we just have to acknowledge that there are parts of this country, there are people in this country whose hearts are filled with fear and hatred. And then there are those who very cynically are exploiting uh, those fears and hatred. And, Right now it's kind of interesting when we, when we see, uh, the, in, especially in the Rust Belt and in the Midwest, places that voted overwhelmingly for Barack Obama twice mm -hmm. and have now gone uh, for Trump. Part of this clearly is racism and xenophobia, homophobia, misogyny. 
But I think it also just speaks to the reality that there's a lot of fear in this country right now, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of pain. And so one of the things we're going to have to be smart about is how do we talk to those working class white people who clearly voted against their own interests as well mm -hmm. as, as, as ours. And it's, a, it's going to be complicated, but Trump has tapped into something deep and dark and very evil, and we're going to have to be very smart and very strong. So the title is When We Rise, and it sounds like there are lots of moments when we do rise, but we need to keep rising. And there's still that moment for a complete revolution to happen where we're rising together, not just an L from an LGBTQ perspective, but um, inclusive of all of our communities, our Muslim Americans, our African Americans, women, transgender, all of us. That's what I'm about. And um, I, I'll tell you, I'm pretty tired of identity politics and the vocabulary and the mindset that's that has evolved out of this. And there's some irony to that because I kind of, in some ways, my uh, career, if you will, um, is, is really based in identity politics. I'm a gay man, and that's a big part of the way I look at the world and the way the world looks at me. Um, but if, if we allow our empathy, if we allow our ability to feel empathy, to be limited or restricted or defined by our own skin color or someone else's skin color or our heritage or our gender or our sexual orientation, uh, then we're in deep trouble. And we need to really take a look at that. And I think one of the lessons, one of many lessons out of this election is that we, we do not just exist in our little bubbles, in our little silos. And just as back when AIDS came, we had to be pretty fearless about crossing all those borders and boundaries that people create between themselves because the virus was crossing them. Mm -hmm. So if we were going to fight it, we had to be fearless. And uh, that's where we're at now. So I'm not interested in any political conversation that, that separates me from you or me from anybody else that cares about equality and justice and saving this planet. We need to be in this together. And there's a whole lot of people out there that are very confused about this point. And it's understandable the, the desire to kind of retreat in, uh, to your own comfort zone and just be with your own people. But now's the time to be reaching out. So I'm calling on the younger people to, to reach out to older people and for older people to reach out to younger people. Let's cross these boundaries and barriers of race and gender and sexual orientation and understand that we really and truly are all in this together or we're going to all drown when the glaciers melt. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Cleve Jones. Welcome back. Let's get back to the interview with Cleve Jones. I, I fell in love with you the way you fell in love with San Francisco. <laughs> Uh, you know, you you, you fell in love with San Francisco so hard. You loved the city so much. Um, you were willing to cohabitate with mice and eat. I, you know, I think it was like you know, the cheapest thing on the menu at the time were omelets. You really did. You really do love San Francisco. I love this city still, despite all the changes. I still love this city, and I want to fight for it. I bring up San Francisco because I want to at least bring up the, cha the chapter about Harvey Milk and the day that he was murdered by Dan White. Um, you know, Harvey Milk really, he was your mentor, he was your friend. He was trying to get you a job. He was trying to make you go places. We had talked earlier about how he didn't really have a plan and it sounded like um. Harvey Milk had a plan for you. You weren't there. And in this book, you provided a chapter for us that I think that was the first time I got a real honest answer of what that day was like for you? You know, looking back at it, I think I was in shock for months afterwards. I'd never seen a dead person before. You know, I've seen many since. But that was the first time I saw uh, for myself what bullets do. Um, he was very kind to me at a time when I was estranged from my family, uh, when I really needed a, a dad, and he was a very appropriate and kind and funny 
uh, father figure. He was the leader of the movement. Um, I had other mentors, uh, Del Martin and Phyllis Lyon. I'd met, you know, before I met Harvey, but he was very special to me. And the, you know, just the incredible sense of loss and f the, the sense that truly it was over. And I remember being, uh, you know, in his cubicle and while his body was still across the hallway and uh, playing that tape that he'd left for us. And, I, you know, he predicted his assassination and I used to make fun of him. I said, who, you know, you're not important enough. No one's going to shoot you. You're not, who do you think you are? You're not Dr. King. You're not Malcolm X, you know. And uh, that horrible sense that everything was over, that what we'd fought for was over, what he was doing for me was over, that this friendship was over. Uh, and then, you know, the sun went down and the people gathered on Castro Street and all sorts of people, gay and straight and young and old and black and brown and white, and we marched to City Hall and filled the plaza with candlelights, and that's when I knew it wasn't over. It was really just beginning, and... But especially now, as, as you know, we move forward with the reality of this election, people need to prepare themselves for that sense of personal loss and grief, and people are going to be hurt and they need to be strong and you are one one is not permitted to surrender it is not allowed you must keep fighting and we're going to be relentless and we're going to be smart and we're going to be principled and we're going to move forward with the understanding that all of these lives do matter and we're going to say that and we're going to defend people and we're going to make that commitment for the people that are facing deportation, we will defend them. For transgender people facing increased violence, we will defend them. We're going to defend our rights, we're going to defend our communities, and we are not going to let this stand. Thank you so much, Cleve Jones. You have no idea how much you mean to a lot of us from the bottom of our heart. I really do mean it. I love you, Cleve Jones. Make sure you pick up his book, When We Rise, or if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, meet him go to his book launch at Strut December 3rd. Don't go away when we come back, my final thoughts. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here tonight. I know that we are all going through a lot of emotions. I know that some of us are angry, some of us are confused, some of us are feeling hurt but the fight must go on. And I'm talking to everyone who's watching this program right now as if you, you feel the need to fight. I think that even if you supported Donald Trump in this election and you're feeling victorious, I would love for you to connect with your community and for those who did vote for Donald Trump and dig deep within yourself and ask yourself about your own community. What do you care about? Why should we care about the issues that were so controversial in this election? At the end of the day, I think I want what you want. I want for us all to be happy. I want us all to have a healthy family, a home, a job. I think, I think we all just want an equal opportunity. We want equal rights. Thanks again for joining me here tonight. And again, please pick up Cleve Jones's book, When We Rise, and look out for the miniseries that will debut on ABC, When We Rise. The Michelle Meow Show is here every Sunday night at 9.30. For everything else, you can head to michellemeow.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show.
Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on the last day of February. If you're like myself and a few of our friends here in San Francisco, you rejoiced and you were thrilled at the fact that you could tune in to a mainstream TV channel and see for yourself what activism in San Francisco was like. And then you were just super excited because most of these people were your friends, like Cleve Jones, Ken Jones, Roma Guy, um, and, and the list goes on. Cecilia Chung, wow. Uh, when We Rise is such a gift to San Francisco, and I, I really, truly, honestly, I mean, it, it could have been shot on one camera, and just the fact that we were able to tell our stories is just incredibly important. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. John, did you get a chance to tune into When We Rise at all? I did not. Um, I did, however, see about 70,000 commercials for it during the Academy Awards, <laughs> uh, which, which is telling. I mean, ser- and I'm serious, yeah. uh, no, not 70,000, but I mean a lot. There were more repeat commercials for that show than for any other commercial company, product, service, anything at all during the Oscars. So that means that you know, not just oh, you, you. It's exciting to see this on on television, but that the network clearly is really behind this, and they're really pu- pushing it. Yeah, I sat with a few executives of ABC, the local ABC here in San Francisco. Don't mm-hmm. think that I'm that important, um, but uh, and we she talked is. about <laughs> LGBT inclusion content and programming, and you know they're very very proud to take on this this project, uh, and it, it's a first. It's kind of a first for them. Um, considering that Disney owns them, and and so I feel like they're they're doing something, and they feel proud of it, uh, and hope I hope that you know it will continue. I sat in a man. It was started at like one o'clock, and it went until eleven o'clock. But it was the premiere of When We Rise here in San Francisco. And it was like an all day wow. viewing, and you would think that you know people leave. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but the majority of the audience stayed to watch the entire eight hours or so of of uh, When We Rise, and people were in tears, people were crying. I, I'm sorry, in tears, they were laughing, they were rejoicing. Uh, like I said, I think a lot of people are proud. One of the things that I think is really important about When We Rise and why people should watch it um, would be to learn of just the coming together of various different people and backgrounds, but it was also very honest about the racism and the sexism that exists in our community. And I hope that people can take that and not say we should do it exactly like Cleve did, you know, in the 70s and the 80s or how these protesters and these organizers did it, um, but to take whatever didn't work then and ensure that it doesn't happen now as most of us are now new activists and engage in things like protesting. Um, You'll see the stories of Cecilia Chung and Ken Jones being isolated from the movement in some ways because of their personal experiences of sexual assault and alcoholism. And you find them both uh, being somewhat alone in taking care of one another uh, during the HIV AIDS crisis. Um, so I, I, I appreciated that, you know, Dustin Lance Black and the team, at, uh, the production team you know, were genuine in that way and didn't try to, you know what I mean, cover it up or write a different story just no. because it was, it was, it's very, it's, it's, yes, it's peeling back um, the veil that covers us sometimes when people say it's the LGBT movement, but don't necessarily address the intersectional issues that we face. What do you think the uh, impact of it will be on the non-LGBTQ viewer? What do you think they'll either learn or or uh, how will it inform the way that they then are going out and watching whatever's happening in the greater world right now? I'll tell you, you know, if I, th- I think that if they had released this a year ago, um, it may not be as widely received as it would be today. And the reason why I say that is because there's a new, uh, I guess, a new feeling or uh, surge of people wanting to do something. Mm-hmm. And what Winry Rise will show you, regardless of it being the uh, the focus on LGBT rights or not, you'll see human beings, you'll see citizens of this country going out there to do something and how they did it. So you, uh, you, you'll be, what you'll take from it is empowerment. And what you'll take from it is that, um, uh, just because you're, you know, different or uh, if your community is being attacked, it doesn't mean that you can't fight back. Um, that That's what I got from it. I, I felt all kinds of chills, and I certainly was motivated in a lot of ways, and I think that 
for view, listeners and viewers of the Michelle Miao show, the inconsistency that you're hearing or that you're seeing is also me feeling torn with produce a show or go out there on the streets with you. Produce a show or go to a fundraiser where the money is going to help somebody who's about to be deported. We are so stressed and so like live. It's it's chaos in this country. That's what I feel. Or my I'm not. I don't think I'm being dramatic. I think a lot of you are stressed and feeling chaos too. I, I would hope that. Well, I would hope that people get hope from it because, um, you know, starting from you know Stonewall riots in 1969 on through the 70s and Anita Bryant and the 1980s and, and the AIDS crisis and the Reagan administration and such. Um, it won't feel it like it perhaps to some of the folks who lived through that and, or even obviously the folks who didn't survive it. But, um, you know, we won. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, th I think people can take the hope from that and okay, they're looking right now and they're watching an administration that, that's very hostile to our interests. Um, know that we just had the person who actually got the most votes on a very blatantly pro-LGBTQ platform. And she spoke about it a lot. She made it in speeches. She made it, she sp you know, I mean, and she's the one who got the most votes. Mm -hmm. And you've got these organizations now, I mentioned, you know, I mean, they're, they're, we're in a better position now to fight these issues than we were in 1970 and 1980. Um, so I, I think there's hope that people, you know, people can watch that, look at what was done, what can be done differently now, what can be improved, but also don't let this totally knock you off your feet. Right. You know, what we're going through because, right. you know, we won before and we're in a better position now. Y thank you. Thank you for reminding everyone <laughs> that there is hope. And, and uh, we said that in the beginning, as, as much as we're going to do these shows, we were just going to let people know that we wanted to offer a good space to be positive. Um, for some of us, it's really difficult to to feel that, and that's because you know you might be from a community that is being attacked straight up from the president and his administration. Uh, but John is right. You know, when, it's a different time ten years ago when we were fighting for things like LGBT rights, and nobody wanted it was yeah, no network wanted to air an LGBT miniseries. It, no network would touch it. And here we are today, um, and it's not just any now. It's not like MTV, right? Right. <laughs> it's not airing on the Bravo channel. It's right. Like this is a you know general um, audience, and so I'm hoping that it's more than just LGBT people, especially LGBT people from San Francisco, <laughs> who are tuning in. And I'm hoping that you know we're we're hitting the right hearts and minds. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this last day of February. Michelle Miao, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. We're going to play some interviews from When We Rise, and these interviews are from the actual activists whose lives are being portrayed in the miniseries written and produced by Dustin Lance Black. Don't go away. When we come back, John Zipper and I finish the show with our final thoughts. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this show. I was so happy and so, I felt so honored and so fortunate to have invited Ken Jones, Roma Guy, and her wife, Dion, to the show to be interviewed. And of course, Cleve Jones. Um, when We Rise, the memoir itself is a great, great, great book. I mean, I, I would encourage you to get the book as well if you're really into the, the miniseries. And that's just because I think that, you know, Cleve's life is condensed into just these uh, what I would consider chapters of, of his actual memoir. Um, and, you know, Cleve is here in San Francisco and he's like a neighbor. He's just down the street um, from most of us and he's still very, very active. And so I think, you know, what John had mentioned earlier um, is that there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of us and a lot of us had gone through some of the toughest times. Um, so we certainly can weather through this 
an, this apocalypse. <laughs> um, tonight we'll hear from the president. Uh, don't know what he's going to say. John's thinking it's going to be a lot of the same things. Fluff, air, um, nothing really uh, substantial. And in fact, that was a, an incredible compliment coming from him that in my State of the Union address, I had more substance to say. <laughs> Um, but, you know, a few things, John. I mean, you host your own week-to-week political roundtable talk here on the Michelle Miao Show, or it airs here on the Michelle Miao Show uh, on Progressive Voices at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard mm-hmm. Time. And so, you know, you're talking to a lot of other political heavyweights, uh, people who are journalists, people who are actual pol- politicians and things like that. I think that both parties um, recognize some of these decisions as un-American? Yes. Uh, It is interesting talking to some Republicans who are still, you know, the old hashtag never Trump, and others who are saying, and in fact we get a lot of this, those of you across the country, there's a conservative think tank out near here at Stanford called Hoover Institution, and it has lots of very intelligent conservatives you probably disagree with on a lot of stuff but they're genuinely intelligent people and I tend to get a lot of them on my program because they're very good at communicating things and they're not crazy um, but of course several Hoover folks are now a part of this administration all in the national security and intelligence area um, so you've listening to them to other folks from Hoover or other local Republicans who are in that orbit uh, to hear them kind of trying to figure, okay, what's happening now that's really good? What's unexpected? You know, a couple of people who are out there they actually like. Um, and then other things, that, and even most many of the conservatives in this area tend to really disagree with the social stuff that uh, Trump is doing. I believe this Friday, in fact, we have uh, an excerpt from our talk with um, former Secretary of State George Shultz, who's a Republican. And there's actually a great talk in there about him and civil rights back during the Nixon administration. And uh, this was back when uh, schools were being desegregated, years after legally they were supposed to be, uh, you know, they, they get in here. And I think this has a lot to say to today's events, too. And I, and I don't think we're going to get this image from or this activity from the Trump administration. But here's George Schultz. He was... Um, in the in the Trump administration, excuse me, the Richard Nixon administration, and uh, it was his job to get these southern uh, areas that were going to be desegregated. The schools were going to be desegregated, and so he he's ta- describing how they would get you know these white leaders and black leaders in, and they would kind of you know show them the White House and try to show the power and all that the prestige and such. But when it came down to, well, you know, especially the whites kind of hoping that, oh, good, we've got a conservative Richard Nixon in there. He's going to support us. And uh, uh, George Schultz was saying he brought in the attorney general and it said, so what are you going to do? And the attorney general said, this is the law. We're going to enforce it. And the white leaders got the message that they were going to enforce the desegregation rules. And, and mm-hmm. the, you know, they, they just interesting ways that and, and again, from someone I don't think a lot of people knew the role that he played. And he actually has some other stories in there, too, about uh, things that he had done and worked on, on, on specifically in desegregation and, and racism. Um, there are people out there across the spectrum or in me- most parts of the spectrum who can be convinced or already are convinced. Mm-hmm. Well, when uh, George W. Bush mm-hmm. decides to weigh in on the president. Yes, you saw that. Too, <laughs> I yeah. did. And and he finally has commented um, with, I don't like the racism and I don't like the name calling and I don't like the people feeling alienated in an interview uh, of all for all people, uh, for all of all people, <laughs> People magazine yeah. um, in an interview that uh, will come out on Friday. And he finished that off by saying nobody likes that. So. Um, yeah, when you've got George W. Bush commenting, I mean, I think that that's telling. I'm waiting for the conservative party, or whatever that means, the spectrum of Republicans, mm-hmm. to wake up to see that the president has really put people in place who are in power now 
for very selfish reasons. I mean, you've got a ton of billionaires, or a ton, um, most of them. A billion billionaires. Yeah, who are billionaires, who are sitting on these admin you know, positions, making uh, decisions for the country. How many billionaires does the country actually have? So I'm not saying that billionaires cannot make policy or shape policy that's reflective of the people, but I would tend to think that uh, there's some self-interest in these positions. Um, so that's that. So good luck to us all. That's what we're going to say, but have hope. Uh, John's show, again, airs here on the Michelle Meow Show, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. John, thanks so much for being here with us. Thank you, Michelle. We'll be back, um, you know, the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time tomorrow. For everything else, you can head to michellemeow.com.